Susan B. Anthony and her followers have won for women the right to vote. It seems to me that bitch isn't a word. It's a moment, an experience. She successfully spanned the Atlantic from Newfoundland to Londonderry, Ireland. Bitch, bitch, bitch. Say what? Bitch, bitch, bitch. Already unique. Hello, humans. Welcome to Bitch History, a podcast about badass women in history who have been left out of the history books. I'm Dr. Kelly McLean. I'm Dr. Smarty Pants Lisa. Hang on, why are we doctors? <laughs> I felt fancy. Might delete later. I couldn't even say it with a straight face as much as I would love to actually have been a doctor in this lifetime. Still can't even say it with a straight face, so. Yes. Well, and I'm not a lawyer either, but I feel like I should say <laughs> neither myself nor my podcast partner are doctors. My girlfriend's a doctor, but let's not piss her off either, so. Right, right. Good point. <laughs> Sorry, other Lisa, who's a real doctor. Let's see. <laughs> um, well, you practically are a lawyer in some episodes, um, <laughs> but I am practically many things, so that's a whole podcast unto itself. Let's see. Can I be... <laughs> How about a doyen? I've always wanted to be a doyen. Ooh, I like that. Sure. Doyen of bitchery, that's you. Doyen of bitchery. I shall forthwith print business cards. Anyway, what would you like to be besides working with someone who's normal? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure what normal is. <laughs> if it introduces itself to me, bit me on the ass. So um, I don't know what I'd like to be. Well, here are some options I came prepared with for this totally off-the-cuff and spontaneous dialogue. (laughs) Connoisseur. (laughs) Virtuoso. Is there a female virtuoso? Virtuosa? That doesn't seem right. Maven. I like maven. Oracle. Phenomena. Hot shit. Badass. (laughs) Any of those? I'm having an anxiety attack now. I'll just (laughs) stick with the smarty pants, I guess. All right, good. Good chat. Okay, what are we doing? Oh, yes. First, please um, follow and subscribe to this podcast and the other uh, bitch. (laughs) What did I type here? (laughs) (laughs) Bitch pods. Bitch pods. Under House of Bleep on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. I think I may have said absolutely nothing there. But anyway, on to you. (laughs) What are we talking about? Currently, the best way to support us is by sharing the podcast with your friends or loved ones or by joining our Patreon. You can join for just a dollar or up to $10, and we appreciate all of it. And finally, you can email us at the best email address ever. Hey, bitches, at (laughs) bitchdery.net. And I did tweak the Patreon. It still doesn't have a lot of content, you guys. I'm just trying to build it up. But, like, join for a dollar, and then you're there. And then when there's some content, once you guys let us know, like, what you want. I mean, not that I'm putting it all on the listeners, but, hey, tell me what the fuck you want. Um, (laughs) Then you can upgrade your membership. But anyway, uh, yeah. Hey, bitches at bitchstory.net. Patreon.com forward slash house of bleep. This is going to be a rough one based on how well I'm speaking so far. Hey, smarty pants. <laughs> hey, Doyen. Well, I don't know how I feel about that now. It sounds old. Um, what the fuck are we doing today? Well, we're continuing our Pride Month episodes. Oh, yes. And as anybody who has who knows anything about Pride knows, we owe much of what we've accomplished on gay rights to trans women, 
to um, non-binary women to um, people who uh, go against the gender norm. They were the first ones to stand up. They were the they were the ones who were most um, abused back before, you know, back in the 50s and 60s when there were gay bars. Um, they were the ones who were abused not only by, you know, your general assholery citizen, um, right. but cops, by other gay people, by, you know, and by doctors uh, trying to <laughs> do all kinds of horrific experiments upon them uh, right. to get them to, quote unquote, you know, be normal, straighten up and, you know. To ungay them, yeah. Yes. Uh, but they were also the first ones to, um, you know, pick up a brick and swing a high heel and say, fuck you, we're not taking this anymore. And <laughs> That's a great visual. So- <laughs> that should be a bumper sticker. I think, okay, I need to make a list of merch that we need to add. Pick up a brick and swing a high heel. Going on my list right now. Uh, there's a booth at, Pride, at the Pride Fest every year, which I have never, I've never bought this shirt. I don't know why. They sell them every year, and I think it's the coolest shirt. But it has a picture of um, a drag queen um, just, like, hot, like with a brick in his hand, in her hand, and just, like, you know, getting ready to throw it. Her wig's all askew, one eyelashes <laughs> off, and all this stuff. Uh-huh. And it's and at the top it says, "You think queers are revolting? Hell yes, we are." And um, yeah, it's a cool shirt. But yeah, so any 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 strides that we have made in gay rights, though we have walked you know backwards, <laughs> backwards yeah, in high heels lately. Cough, cough. Um, we owe a lot to um, trans women. So today we're going to talk about a particular non-binary lady who. Um, not only has done a lot for gay rights, but who has done a lot for indigenous rights as well. Mm-hmm. Um, she is what they call a two-spirit person. There, So two-spirit people have been um, recognized in indigenous communities for, you know, hundreds of years, thousands of years, probably. <laughs> Long time. And um, they not only were accepted, um, the, the question of gender and the idea of gender and gender um, diversity was accepted by a lot of indigenous populations. And these people were not only just accepted and just let to live the way they want to live, but they were also a lot in a lot of tribes um, revered because they were thought that they had two spirits. They had a male spirit and a female spirit mm-hmm. so they could have the strength you know, say like the aggressiveness and the um, oh, yeah. bravery of the male spirit and maybe the into the intuition and, you know, more uh, nurturing part of the female spirit. And, you know, they were, you know, they contributed to the tribe that way. Um, Pre-Columbian days, there were, you know, more than a thousand tribes that, you know, were in this, in this country. Um, and more than half of them um, recognized two-spirit people um, wow. as part of their, you know, as part of their tribe and as part of their population, and uh, they contributed in different ways. And in some places, um, some tribes, when they capture other, you know, they war between themselves and then they capture other people, sometimes they would make that person that they captured dress as a woman do sexual favors for some of the people in the tribe and perform like quote unquote women's work, cooking, cleaning, you know, kind of things Mm -hmm. like that. But the majority of two spirit people were actually people who chose to live that way, who grew up, you know, like as much as they do now feeling like 
my anatomy and what my gender norm is supposed to be is not who I am inside. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that, that while it was sort of sometimes used as a, you know, a weapon, um, it, the majority of them were not. Um, the term two spirit actually didn't get, wasn't official until um, in the 1990s. They had a meeting of tribes um, and this, this meet, this particular meeting happened to be in Manitoba and they officially recognized that, um, as a, only in the nineties. Yeah. So, I mean, they would have, they, you know, it's like they, they accepted it as an official thing because I mean, in a weird way, like they really didn't need, like the native, the indigenous people didn't really need gay rights because it was sort of like, they were just sort of accepted as people. They weren't gay. Well, they, that's the way it should be. Other. Yeah. They weren't quote unquote right, other. Right. They were just like, this is how they are. And this is how they mm-hmm. contribute to our tribe. And this is how, so they don't need, they didn't need a gay rights movement in the Indians, you know, right. but as, you know, society moved on, a lot of Indian tribes are in more conservative parts of the nation. In Oklahoma, there's a lot of native tribes, you know, in the South, there's a lot of native tribes. Um, so, you know, as as sort of Western culture bled into that, uh, two spirit people more started more being discriminated against because they lived in that part of the country, and that's just sort of, you know, how sometimes those people are treated there, unfortunately. And so it was really in the '90s that they actually officially recognized them as, um, you know, they were they recognized the name so that they could be officially recognized, officially protected. Um, and officially um, discussed as, you know, I mean, I feel like now it's not even so much that they're just like, we don't like trans people as much as the movement is shifting towards, I'm not talking about the indigenous movement, I'm talking about, you know, don't fuck a stand movement, um, <laughs> to like trans people is not, it's not even a thing. It's a made up thing. Yeah. It's just like trans people just don't even exist. You know, it's just not even a... Um, it's but not it's some a, recent woke agenda. Like people just have decided yes. that they're going to go against the binary gender norms. Like they just some sect of society just woke up and was like, you know what we should do to fuck with the Republicans? <laughs> we should. It's just yes. weird. Like they've existed forever. Right. Um, you know, but I, you know, they've they've. They've existed forever. Indigenous people have, have recognized those people forever. They've never thought of them as strange, as other, right. as dangerous. They're, you know, the two-spirit people aren't grooming other two-spirit. Like, keep away from the children, for God's sake. No, we cannot let two-spirit eagle read the story time. <laughs> yes. In front of the teepee. Because um, you probably are going to address this, but... In the recesses of my mind, I remember hearing about this concept. Weren't they, at least in some tribes, kind of revered as like sacred or like some elevated form of spirit because of the non-binary status? Yeah. Yeah. Because they because, like I said, they could they could use, you know, they could have some of the strengths of both genders. They could. um they were embodied with an extra spirit. I mean, it was just, you know, it was right. special in some ways, right. in a lot of ways. And I mean, it was only when, um, you know, colonizers came and they're just like, what? <laughs> right. 
right. this person is two men are living together in this wigwam. That's not okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then they tried. And so, and a lot of times that they would take, it was horrible that they took any children to these Indian schools, you know, to try to Westernize them. But especially, they were especially interested in taking um, children who displayed gender differences or sexual so, differences to these early, schools, trying to yeah. force this heteronormative behavior on them. So early conversion therapy care Mom, of yes. the colonies. Yes. Okay, that Absolutely. sounds fabulous. So, yes, it was fabulous. Um, so, you know, they take him to these residential schools and they just try to force his heteronormative roles onto them, cut their hair and try to make them, you know, quote unquote, wear boy clothes, wear girl clothes, whatever they're assigned at birth. And, um, you know, and it's sort of like then that the two, some of the two spirit sacredness was getting lost as people were getting Christianized because, you know, God only knows, Leviticus, whatever. So, I have to interject something, if that's okay, because I yes. just learned something recently. Okay. Is it Leviticus? I don't remember which book it is where they talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. It probably is. Um, I just, you know, I, I, I did what I was told in my Christian upbringing, <laughs> and that has always been the story that has been used to prove that gay is wrong because God smite Sodom and Gomorrah for all their gayness. Okay. According to several biblical scholars, I went down a rabbit hole recently. Um, And I'm I'm sure there's more than several. I'm sure there's hundreds and thousands of biblical scholars. Uh, The teaching of Sodom and Gomorrah as an anti-gay lesson is completely incorrect that actually an angel of God showed up and they turned him away and they Basically, it's about rape, that there were the sex has always been used as a means of control and as a weapon by idiots and assholes. Right. Like you mentioned earlier, um, they used it. They weaponized it. Well, it was ever less. Right. So um, back to Lilith, who is one of my favorite goddesses who refused to lie beneath Adam. And so she was cast out and all kinds of crazy stories told about her but anyway um she's like i don't need this isn't really this isn't really that different actually because the story of lilith isn't even in the christian bible whole other show also we should talk about lilith um we haven't have we i don't think we have um point being so these these angels showed up you know disguised as men or whatever. And they were strangers. I can't remember the character. Sorry, you guys, I'm really butchering this story, but you'll get it. Um, And the people of the village said, send your friend out so that we can have sex with him. Basically, they were saying, send him out. We want to rape him. And I forget the character again. It's one of the big guys. But anyway, um, he said, no, here, have my concubine or my daughter or something really fucked up. It's just really awful. But basically, when strangers went to some villages or towns or whatever, um, they were not received well. And God was pissed off about this. So he sent down these undercover angels, basically, to to test this out. Sure enough, the people were like, yeah, we're going to rape your ass. So um, God said, well, you done buttered your own bread and I am destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, But the lesson is that 
we do not take in strangers, that we do not treat people right. It's a lesson about, quote, aliens and um, taking care of the hungry and the poor and the visitor and the stranger, the stranger, basically. Um, it isn't at all a tale about homosexuality. It's a lesson about taking care of each other. And I don't know about you. Maybe you've already heard this because you're Smarty Pants Lisa. My mind was blown as a person who was raised in Christianity because th this was news to me. But this wasn't some like one-off like blogger or whatever interpretation. This is a well-regarded interpretation of that story. And I was like blown away. Yeah. So wow. when the colonists and well, I think it all started with King James King because the Bible has been translated so many times. And when King James got a hold of it, he told them basically what to make it say. It was very ag agendized. Is that a word? Um, <laughs> King James weaponized it to his own benefit by changing wording and having it translated to be certain things. As we know, ordinary people couldn't read only, you know, the priests and the scholars and the upper class people were allowed to read. And so the average villager, whatever, just was like learned what they were taught. And what they were taught was all these things that King James had decided he was going to make it. So then when the King James Bible was translated into like the New International and the, you know, more regular English Bibles, none of that fuckery was taken out. They just took King James and made it more casual language. But, and I'm sure that there's some out there, but the Bible really needs to go back to its like parchment roots and be retranslated, which is, I think, who these scholars are that are, you know, teaching me things. Um, so anyway, you know, the colonists and their Christianity, it's it's coming from this particular part of the Bible that says, these things are all wrong when really they've got it completely flipped on its fucking head and it's about taking care of each other. That was my interjection. Sorry, that was long. <laughs> I know. Well, they never really talk about like Matthew, who was just basically, you know, caring for the stranger, caring for your brother, feeding the, feeding the hungry, helping the sick. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I fed my brother, so he got lazy and then didn't get a job ever after that. I don't think it says that. Right. Mm -hmm. sure. Pretty much sure it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, so I mean, I mean, that's like where I'm, all this, this homophobia started was from the freaking King James Bible. Well, in a lot of ancient culture, like Greece, homosexuality was just pretty much, Every I mean, in her. a way, it was almost recreational. I mean, I, there were couples, yeah. I mean, there were people who were, you know, committed couples, but there were just people who, you know, just recreationally messed around and mm -hmm. it was just sort of like, nobody cared. They had all those damn orgies. They were big on yeah. orgies. You know, and, and the soldiers who were out on, you know, off at war for a year, you know, whatever. Sure. So, um, anyway, and yeah. So, form, so to speak. <laughs> um, well, and then there's just so many people, you know, so many stories in history. I mean, we, I mean you and I laugh about it all the time, like the best friends and the, <laughs> the roommates. And, you know, it's... Achilles being straight and you know I, I've, I've accepted oh, yeah. a lot of it's like that is not one of those things but uh, like Caligula when his I can't remember who his partner was but his his um you know his fa I think they call him his favorite general mm -hmm. but favorite. like 
yeah, he he liked him so much that he let him like share his tent whenever they go off on you know war whatever's <laughs> maneuvers. So he and so but when he got when he died, yeah, he burned the temple of healing. He. <laughs> You know, he just, he, like, went completely crazy. He he killed the, he, first of all, he shot the doctor, or he beheaded the doctor. He burned the Temple of Healing to the ground. <laughs> he just kind of went totally crazy because his because favorite general. Because of his favorite died. general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, sounds a little sus, but. It, yeah, um, it's sussy for sure. Anyway, yeah, it all, all started with anyway. Christianity. Yeah, so, yeah, so you that, were saying. So whenever the one other the you know the pilgrims came and you know colonists came after them with their King James views that you brought up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, two spirit people became more marginalized, and especially as Indian tribes started converting to Christianity, um, they started looking a little bit um, less respectfully down on these two spirit people, unfortunately. So, um, and, you know, and sort of their role in that society has, has sort of eroded since then over these past couple hundred years. Um, until finally in 1990, when they went to the intertribal uh, meeting of First Nations, which was in Manitoba, or excuse me, Winnipeg, uh, that Elder Myra Laramie put forth the term Two-Spirit. It's a translation mm-hmm. of, I'm going to probably butcher this. Oh, I can't wait to hear this. Go. <laughs> Niza Manidwag. <laughs> Which it literally, it's an Ojibwe word that literally translates to two spirits. What is that? A N I S. What is that? Anishna. Anishna Bimwabin. And that is like, that's the name for the Ojibwe language, I believe. Oh, okay. So cool. <laughs> I know. All my, cool my, all my Navajo lessons were not helping me in any of this. Oh, that's <laughs> true. I these, forgot. Yeah. Duolingo. <laughs> Yeah, my Duolingo. I can't uh, believe you did Duolingo some Ojibwa. What's the matter with you, you slacker? God, I'm taking back your doctorate. (laughs) My Navajo doctorate. Um, (laughs) So, yeah. But, you know, so they were, I mean, they weren't universally, I mean, tribes had different attitudes or whatever, but they were recognized as, you know, valuable parts of this, you know. So anyway, time goes on. And so finally in 1990, they're recognized again as valuable members of the tribe, as their own identities. Um, and they kind of, the, the term two-spirit is sort of like an umbrella term that me, it just means queer, basically. It can mean non-binary. It could mean trans. It could just mean gay. It could mean whatever. Um, but it's just sort of an ex- saying, you know, we accept that there are gender differences. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, we're okay with that. But, and as I said, you know, we have a lot of um, non-binary and trans, pe- trans people to thank for our, the gay rights movement we have that we're celebrating this month. Um, all the things that happened in Stonewall and there before. And we have one particular person we're talking about today. So I'll take it away. Alrighty. Forgot your title. So, um, <laughs> what'd you say? I said I forgot your title already. But anyway, take it away. Oh, I don't even remember my own title, so no worries. Oh, like, who am I? What are we doing? Which podcast is this? Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> we're talking about the two-spirit activist, Barbara Cameron. Uh, okay, Barbara, who I shall henceforth refer to as Barb. I hope she's okay with that. Uh, she has a whole lot of stuff going on. Um, she's a Papa Lakota. Did I say that right? Mm-hmm. I felt right. <laughs> 
I felt my 1% Cherokee kind of perk up when I said that. Um, she was a lesbian, a two-spirit leader, an AIDS activist, and social organizer in San Francisco's Native American community. And she does not appear in any sort of history lesson at all. Um, in March, we celebrate pioneering figures in women's history. And there are many, which is why we have this podcast, because there are so many that a great many don't ever get any recognition. Um, and there's a lot who just do great things and their names are just forgotten. So Barbara Cameron shall not be one if we can do anything about it. She was right. born uh, May 22, 1954, grew up in, on the Standing Rock Sioux Reservation. Um, she packed a lot into her 47 years. She only lived to be 47. Yeah, unfortunately. What? Okay, that's rude. Um, <laughs> so she was raised by her grandparents and taught from an early age that she was special. She recalled feeling different as a child, which meant that the positive reinforcement that her grandparents provided was a welcome boost in her still developing sense of selfhood. Imagine if all children had that. Um, her self-confidence was also helped by the fact that she was a great student. Her grandparents were very supportive. They told her she could do anything, be anything. Um, she identified a role model in Beatrice Medicine, an anthropologist and Shehasapa Lakota. Can't say this other one. Mene Kanju Lakota? Did I just, what did I just do to that word? She was a Lakota. <laughs> yeah. These Sorry, a lot, Lakota. A lot of uh, vowels in those words. This, this, I do so well on these kinds of episodes. Honestly, I'm such a, a gifted linguist. Um, anyway, Barbara strove to emulate this anthropologist. She left the reservation to pursue her educational dreams, first at the Institute of American Indian Arts in New Mexico, and then at the San Francisco Art Institute. She arrived there in the year I was born, 1973. She <laughs> went on to have a successful career as an artist and photographer, but it was her work as an activist that really made an impact on people. So the 70s in San Francisco was an interesting place, to say the least. Um, <laughs> Racism, um, every kind of ism existed in San Francisco's gay and lesbian communities, um, and Native Americans had very few cultural outlets, limited social resources, so they created their own, and she kind of led the way. 1975, she co-founded Gay American Indians with Randy Burns, a Northern Paiute. Together, uh, they became pioneers in San Francisco's gay and lesbian Native American community. As a forerunner to contemporary organizations such as the Bay Area American Indian Two Spirits, uh, the Gay American Indians group provided gay and lesbian Indians with a safe space to socialize, network, and access information about support services. In 91, she reflected on her personal journey and the changes she'd seen in San Francisco since the 70s. In recent years, she said, two-spirited people are becoming more visible in our communities. Now she was a, by, by this point, she was a veteran of organizing things in the community. And she saw this new term as a path to Native American empowerment. She had a keen understanding of politics. Um, her personal papers, which are archived at the San Francisco Public Library, reveal 
her intellect and the depth of her knowledge and also her political understandings. Um, but her deeply personal writings reveal her passion to continually work for a more just society. In one unpublished, of course it's unpublished, essay, she writes, quote, that my political activism is largely due to the fact that I'm an Indian. Growing up on the res, witnessing the hypocrisy of organized Christianity. Can, is it organized? I would say Christianity is not really that organized, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> and learning about the United States government's attempts to destroy Native communities inspired her political activism. Um, and then she gave a eulogy in 1991 for her friend Phil Ting Tingley. Um, and it's an incredible document, personal testimony, and uh, has a lot of historical reflection. Um, she understood the importance of nurturing communities, nurturing the community in the gay and lesbian population. She also recognized that doing so meant confronting racism head on. She has a whole lot of isms um, coming at her. Um, in fact, she never shied away from an opportunity to call out racism and homophobia and her 90, 1991 speech for her friend's eulogy was no exception. Quote, I've heard straight Indian people talk about homosexuality as a white man's disease, Cameron explained. But it's homophobia that is the white man's disease. Can I get an amen? Underscoring the historical significance of her message, Cameron insisted that, quote, smallpox decimated many of our people and so has homophobia. And then HIV and AIDS disproportionately impacted Native people in the early 90s um, with racism and homophobia still very much part of the cultural life in 91. Cameron's words underscored the fearlessness of her leadership. But as a two-spirit pioneer, she did more than confront prejudice, she inspired others. And in that same speech, she spoke about how, quote, it's important for us as Indian people as we reclaim and revitalize our languages and traditions to include the heritage and contributions of Indian lesbians and gay men. She concluded with a profound yet succinct message that remains true today, quote, to know and understand that being lesbian or gay is an Indian tradition. She dedicated her life to this message and built on the knowledge that she had shared with her friend, Phil. Um, which she in turn shared with the community. Um, there were other two-spirit pioneers in the 90s. She shared the burden of leadership with people like Randy Burns, Clyde Hall, Stephen Barrios, Richard LaFortune, and Janet Spotted Eagle, and many others who worked in San Francisco in the two-spirit communities and in the two-spirit communities across North America. Her life ended suddenly in 2002 at just 47. That is, that sucks. At her memorial service, Tom Amiano, San Francisco Board of Supervisors president, remembered Cameron's fine qualities of heart and mind. Cameron used these qualities to make life better for two-spirit people, to champion the rights of those afflicted with AIDS, and to care for women impacted by violence. Apparently, she wrote a whole bunch of stuff. She has an essay from 1981 called, <laughs> quote, mm -hmm. gee, you don't seem like an Indian from the reservation. Uh, <laughs> which remains a searing snapshot of the struggle to survive marginalization and thrive despite of it, despite it. I like this quote from this Cheyenne elder also. Uh, Marlon Fixico, I guess he's a Cheyenne, he's a Southern Cheyenne elder. Um, he said he's part, she's part of the first generation of two-spirit elders. 
Of course, the tribal communities across North America have long and specific traditions and titles to refer to people with fluid gender and sexual identities. But Fixco's right. He is part of the first generation of elders to self-consciously nurture two-spirit identities and communities, and it's a generation that builds on the life and legacy of Barbara Cameron. She was outspoken and formidable, but a lot of people remember her for her calm and respectful energy in the face of opposition, uh, which made her a natural leader. Um, and the positions she came to occupy reflect that. In the 80s, she co-chaired the Lesbian Agenda for Action. Um, around that same time, she served as vice president of the Alice B. Toklas, am I saying that right? Democratic, LGBT Democratic Club. Man, these organizations have long ass names. Um, <laughs> uh, her position at Alice, I can say that, facilitated um, new political connections that raised her profile more. And then she served as a delegate for Jesse Jackson's Rainbow Coalition in 1988. Um, and then that year, um, the, oh, the then mayor, Diane Feinstein, appointed Cameron to the Citizens Committee on Community Development and the San Francisco Human Rights Commission. That's kind of a big damn deal. <laughs> um, when Frank Jordan became mayor in 92, he appointed her to the United Nations Commission on the Status of Women. Um, hello, big deal. And in between 89 and 92, she was the executive director of the Community United Against Violence, an organization dedicated to helping survivors of domestic violence and hate crimes. She had a partner that she was with for 21 years. She died when she was 47 and been with this woman, Linda, um, for 21 years and their son, Reese. She was buried in South Dakota, outside the reservation where she was raised. She wrote, quote, I rediscovered myself there. Uh, she wrote this about a visit to Standing Rock in 1981. So that's kind of like, uh, yeah, like at the peak of her, her success, I guess you would say. Um, quote, it was, I was sad to leave, but recognize that a significant part of myself has never left and never will. And that part is what gives me strength. The strength of my people's enduring history and contenting belief and the sovereignty of our lives. Yeah, she, I mean, she contributed a lot to, I mean, a lot. Back in the 80, yeah, back in the 80s and 90s when, um, AIDS was you know, so, like the AIDS, AIDS victims needed, needed a voice. I mean, you know, she was not only AIDS for victims needed everything. Yeah. 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 And speaking up for Native American um, GLBT rights, too. Um, but I, I, during some research for this episode, too, I found another article, which we'll put in the comments, too. But it kind of it's a it's an article from Ms. Magazine and it kind of calls out how the title of the article is how Native American women inspired the women's rights and suffrage movement. Mm. And it talks about the Native American women and their um, influence on suffragette leaders like Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Matilda Joslyn Gage. Um, they grew up or, you know, they kind of <clears throat> started working in the land of the. I don't know, Sani and the Six Nations of the Iro Iroquois Confederacy, which were the Onondaga, the Mohawk, the Seneca, the Cuyoga, the Oneida, and Tuscarora. And they kind of saw, like, they're, I mean, back, women have always held high ranking positions in tribes. 
So, mm-hmm. I mean, if you grow up like as a quote unquote Christian woman, you know, growing up in the Christian tradition and, you know, the man's the head of the household and that's the way it is. And this is, you know, the way God, God intended it kind of thing. And then you finally see an example of, you know, women holding, holding, being equals to men, if not superiors to some. Right. And then they're like, hang on. <laughs> I mean, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And, you know. But, yeah, it's an interesting article talking about, um, you know, women who um, were influenced by indigenous attitudes towards towards females. Yeah. Uh, not only two-spirit females, but, you know, assigned at birth females as well. So we'll put the article there. It's interesting. Yeah, there's actually, it's, again, kind of, I don't know, it's, like, surprising, but not surprising that never heard of her. Um, even though I'm a straight white woman, so it's not like something that would have been in my field of purview or study. But this woman did so much. Um, and she was she was active in the San Francisco AIDS community the same time I was active in the AIDS community here. A mere four hours south. Could have met her. Um, <laughs> yeah, just a powerhouse of a human being. So yeah, there'll be all kinds of links in the notes um, about her. So you can read about her because she deserves a read if nothing else. Yeah. Well, and a lot of the women that we feature on this show, and she's, she's no exception. It's not like we type in a Google search and there's like 5 million sources of things we can read about her. <laughs> it's just not right. the case. Unfortunately. I mean, which is why we, you know, we started this show because we wanted to talk about people that, I mean, how many women have we, talked about were that we don't even know their real name you know culture mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like you know they called her this certain thing but we don't know her last name we don't know her real name we don't know what happened to her after this certain thing happened yeah and you know so that i mean that's one of the reasons why we started this show but you know it's good i'm glad we're ta- we talk about these people because you know there's not a, there's not a whole lot of info out there about her or some of these other people yeah no i love that we do this um so one of the things that you found was this um, teacher lesson plan for um, the two-spirit concept. Right. This says, teaching LGBTQ history, instructional resources for California educators, students, and families. Okay, I'm in California, right? I am in between San Francisco and LA. I'm in a conservative town. However, I can tell you that even in L.A., even in San Francisco, there probably is not a lesson plan teaching LGBTQ history, let alone the two-spirit people. This is supposedly for fifth grade or eighth grade, and I find that hilarious. There are literally movements that want to, I don't know what the word is, prohibit, outlaw girls, school-age girls, from talking about their period. (laughs) <laughs> like yeah. not allowed to talk about your fucking period. They there are huge movements all throughout California, let alone the rest of this fucked up country, that want to um, severely curtail sex education, which has only just started to be worth a shit in the school system in this country. Um, I cannot imagine. I mean, if it's not happening in California, it's not happening. I just think it's hilarious that this exists. 
I mean, I guess if you were a homeschool teacher, um, but fifth and eighth grade, there's no way. In high school, this would be laughable even. <laughs> so I don't know. I just, I, it's fascinating to me that it exists. Don't get me wrong. I am all for it. I just cannot imagine where this would be taught. Right. Because it would go against, well, I mean, Oklahoma just started a public school that is Christian Bible based. It's a public school, not a private school. Um, and that's happening here and there. But Oklahoma just started that. They're putting prayer back in schools in various places. I mean, <laughs> the idea of teaching uh, non-binary gender of Native Americans to fifth graders makes me want to explode. We're not even teaching the real history of Native Americans let alone the fact that they accepted two-spirit people. Right. Well, and I feel like they want, they just want to go back to that time where they could just say, you know, this is just the way it's supposed to be. You know, we have a, we have a book that we go by here known as the Bible that we stacked all the cards in our favor with. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and so we're just going to tell you things and rather than you, reading things and making up your own mind. We're going to tell you, this is the way it should be. This is the way it has always been. And you just freaking accept that. And, you know, we line our pockets and, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. And I don't want to get too far off into the weeds, but because I was so vague and rambly, here is what I was talking about in regards to Sodom and Gomorrah. And I will put this okay. in the notes as well. So I'll give you the quick and dirty. Okay. No pun intended. So in Genesis, God sends two angels disguised as men to Sodom, where the men of Sodom threaten to rape them. God then destroys the city with fire and brimstone. He had already decided to destroy the city prior to sending the angels on the DL. Um, the men's aggressive actions are preceded by lavish displays of hospitality from Abraham and Sarah. Abraham. I knew it was one of the major guys. Okay. <laughs> and Lot. Um these preceding accounts place the focus on the men of Sodom's violent, disgraceful treatment of strangers. Now, this this is a quote from Ezekiel. Now, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. Hmm, kind of skip over that when we're talking about it. Um, Same-sex rape was a common tactic of aggression, humiliation, and control. Gang rape is a completely different, I mean, um, it's obviously bad, no matter what your religion is. Gang, gang rape, bad. Um, there's also a story in Judges where a Levite and his concubine rest from their travels in the city of Gebeah, the tribe of Benjamin. A foreign living in Gebeah offers them hospitality, but, quote, some of the wicked men of the city surrounded the house and said, quote, bring out the man who came to your house so we can have sex with him. This is in Judges. The... The host said, no, my friends, don't be so vile. Since this man is my guest, don't do, don't do this outrageous thing. Here's my virgin daughter. And oh, my God, it's so terrible. I'll bring them out to you and you can use them however you wish. Good job, Dad. I mean, what the fuck? But anyway, this is not really about homosexual sex. It's about gang rape and treatment of strangers. Um there's more than 20 references to Sodom and Gomorrah in the scriptures after Genesis. Only two of them mention sexual sins at all. But what I'm saying is a lot of the sexual sin mentioned is about rape 
as opposed to same-sex behavior. Um, yeah, so I don't know. This was kind of a mind-blowing thing for me when I came across it. The term sodomy was not coined until the 11th century, and even then it was widely used to refer to all non-procreative sexual acts, including heterosexual acts, not same sex relations specifically. The earliest Christians read the Sodom story as a parable about inhospitality, arrogance, and violence, not homosexuality. <sighs> well, and as far as like, you know, books that they don't want kids to read because there's too many horrible things in there. The Bible? That's a horrible <laughs> thing. Well, <laughs> And it's like a book about two dads, a guy who has a little boy who has two dads versus what you just read. Oh, absolutely. Oh, my In God. In Utah, because there's all these book bans going around and there's this this thing where a parent can go, I don't like that. And then they just ban that book from the curriculum or whatever. Mm-hmm. In Utah, um, a parent, a group of parents, not sure, proposed that the Bible was inappropriate for violence and sexuality, and it they, someone up, upheld it. <laughs> and I was like, wow, alrighty, that's different, Utah, okay. Yeah. So, Well, and shout out to Illinois who banned book banning. So, yes, <laughs> I think that was a good idea. Yes, finally. So, yeah, it's such a strange place, America. It's like such a totally mixed bag. But anyway, I just thought the Bible thing was interesting because that that is the thing on which all views of homosexuality being bad are based. It's right. just the Bible, basically. So right. anyway, um, what else do we need to say about Barb? That was it, really. Shout out to Barbara. She was a badass for sure. Mm-hmm. But we shall put those in the uh, show notes and everything. Yeah. So you look over them if you want to. And that's it for another, again, proud episode of Bitchery. And especially if you're in Florida, I said gay and proud episode <laughs> of Bitchery. And we hope this made you a little smarter. I feel smarter. Um, we hope it's made you a lot more accepting of things you don't understand. Yes. <laughs> That's a lot. What we need in this country. Thank you for listening. We appreciate you. Seriously. Yeah, for real. Love you guys. Please follow us on Instagram at bitchstreet.pod and email us at heybitches at bitchstreet.net. May the odds be ever in your favor. And happy Pride to everybody celebrating this weekend is Gay Pride in Denver. So uh, an extra big gay. (laughs) (laughs) Yay! Leave us some very gay reviews, too. That would be nice. (laughs) <laughs> rainbow reviews yes uh we don't have pride here until like the fall because it's going to be hotter than hell although this That's june strangely strangely this june as pleasant af so it would be really interesting if global warming worked in my city's favor would be great this, um this june hasn't juned like other junes have juned definitely not <laughs> but watch who knows what's going to happen later this year with the <laughs> crazy weather probably i know wearing a bathing suit i'm inclined to bitch about the rain but if it means the whole state doesn't catch on fire i guess i should be okay then oh yeah there's that because then after the rain then you have a fire season it's just never ending but anyway listen to uh the other podcasts 
bitch splaining and bitch scopes. You can find all of them under House of Bleep. If that's not where you're already listening, you can, you can, you can, what's the word I'm looking for? Consolidate and listen to all of them in one place. Join us again next time for an enlightening and gay episode about badass women doing amazing things since forever. And remember, well-behaved women seldom make history. So go. Everyday Americans need a champion, and I want to be that champion. Women are making history every day. Bitch. 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 Say what? Bitch. 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 Hmm.